Well, good morning, Mission Church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is John. I serve Mission Church as the lead pastor. I'm, I'm excited to be with you on this last Sunday of 2023. Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year. Um, I'm excited for the next year. Uh, maybe perhaps the excitement isn't shared. <laughs> um, we find ourselves today back in Christ's Sermon on the Mount, which many believe to be the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who has ever lived. So if you would, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 will be in verses 19 through 24. And when you find Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Jesus says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust everything that you say here. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to sit under the counsel of your word this morning. And I pray that the calluses that exist on our hearts, that you would soften those. Perhaps this morning there are here, those here that their hearts are stone. And we pray, Lord, that You would give them a heart of flesh as You promised in Ezekiel, that You would give them the gift of faith that they might know You and love You and follow You. For those who have come in here this morning, Lord, whose hearts have been calloused due to sin and unbelief or difficulties and rough circumstances, whatever it may be, would You soften their hearts so they might hear You and see You clearly from the text this morning. I pray, God, that as I preach, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. You are our rock and Redeemer, and we are desperate for You. We love You and give You all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We reside in a society characterized by its immediate dynamic speed. And it's in this swift and ever-changing current of our society's dynamic pace that the, the waters of discontentment surge. And they leave us immersed, drowning in a sea of consumption, in a sea of expectation. The ceaseless stream of social media trends, the relentless pursuit of the latest technology, the endless desire to be seen as somebody, to be seen as successful, and the constant barrage of of advertising, well, they all contribute to the overwhelming tide. And it's in this tumultuous sea where our attention gets pulled in a myriad of directions. And the pressure to keep the pace with the relentless waves of the cultural trends, well, it challenges our ability to find solid footing, to find solid ground. 
In the midst of this whirlpool of discontentments, distractions are lurking around every corner. Priorities are relentlessly battling for our devotion. We see our hearts which are so susceptible to the divisive forces of false gods promising fulfillment that, that they have become entangled in the glittering allure of endless options and the complex web of our culture's sinful desires. And now as we live in a consumer-based society where distraction abounds, an overwhelming number of priorities are aggressively competing for our worship, there's a question that echoes. A question that echoes like a steady heartbeat beneath the surface of our existence. How, how can we, as followers of Jesus, shield ourselves from being lulled into the spiritual darkness of discontentment and misplaced worship? Well, our text this morning is helpful as it answers our heart's desperate plea. It points to the truth that because God in His boundless grace, He generally rewards those who seek Him by faith, And as a result, we're not only equipped to resist the allure of dividing our devotion, but we are invited on a journey of profound contentment, a life that is fully, fully devoted to Christ and His kingdom. Our text unveils this truth as it probes the condition of our heart, it probes the condition of our soul and our will, emphasizing this truth that our eyes shape our hearts to serve a master. Our eyes shape our hearts to serve a master. And we're going to seek to understand this truth in our text considering the following three diagnostic questions. Number one, do I have the right treasure? Number two, do I have the right devotion? And number three, am I serving the true master? Let's begin with number one. Do I have the right treasure? And before we consider this question, it's been several weeks since we've been in Matthew and for we did our Advent series in John. And so, let's remind ourselves of the context and where we are in our passage. In the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically in chapter 6, verses 1-18, through 18, Jesus, if you remember, is addressing the issue of hypocrisy. He's addressing the issue of deception. Jesus brought to light the issue of pretending to be spiritual, pretending to be holy and, and pious and practicing righteousness in front of others so that other people might see us as holy. By externally practicing righteousness in front of other people, Jesus says what you're doing, well, you're deceiving. And you're hoping that someone sees you and, and says, man, that must be a really spiritual and holy person. So Jesus warns us about this and He instructs us rather than seeking to be deceiving and to impress other people, that we should genuinely be pursuing a life of righteousness to impress an audience of one, God. And now, as we reach verse 19, Jesus is continuing this conversation. He's still talking about deception, but as we will see, He's not talking about us deceiving others, but us deceiving ourselves. Jesus here is speaking of self-deception and how easily our hearts can deceive us. And He begins by saying, look at verse 19, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, what are earthly treasures? Well, I think many of us would realize reading this text that earthly treasures are are wealth, material possessions. Earthly treasures are all the creature comforts, all those things that we want which wealth helps us to acquire. And Jesus is saying here, stop treasuring. Stop prioritizing. Stop working. Stop striving. Stop dreaming. Stop lusting. 
after earthly treasures. Why? Why is that a problem? Well, it's quite simple, really. All of those earthly treasures that you're striving over, all those earthly treasures that you're stressing over, they're corruptible. You see, moths can consume them. Rust can corrode them. Thieves can break in and steal them. And not only that, but there's no guarantee that you're going to possess them anyways. And even if you do, the truth is, they'll slip right through your fingers. For earthly treasures, well, they're transient. They're temporary. And they will never satisfy you. They will always leave you longing for more. So Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. And then Jesus, He instructs us to do something different. And His instruction is is so countercultural. It's not only a call to swim against the currents of our culture, but it's in direct rebellion against the sinful nature of our own hearts. Look at verse 20. He says, Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. You see, heavenly treasure is much more secure than earthly treasure. For there are no moths, there is no rust, or any kind of corruptible agent that can destroy it. There is no thief that can break in and steal it. Oceans 11 themselves have no chance of breaking through the security of heaven. What is heavenly treasure? That's a good question. I've heard many say, well, you're storing up treasures in heaven, but what does that mean? And the Bible is kind of vague about that. It doesn't really describe what those are. So we think. In fact, it does. Heavenly treasures, my friends, is, is God Himself. See, rather than treasuring that which is created, Jesus here is instructing us to treasure Him. To treasure the One who created all things by His Word and through His power. Brothers and sisters, we are to treasure the One from whom all blessings flow. This is a call to treasure God. Andrew Murray says it like this, Christ is God's treasure and God's delight and the storehouse of all God's riches. God had that treasure in heaven but sent it down to earth and in the babe of Bethlehem. In that Jesus who had not a place to lay His head, in that Jesus as an earthen vessel there was that heavenly treasure of God. The Jesus that went down into the grave in that broken earthen vessel was the treasure of God. He lifted him up to the glory. And then the Holy Spirit came down to bring that heavenly treasure into the hearts of men. And the treasure in heaven that God delights in can be a treasure in your heart that you can delight in. But how? How do we treasure God? Well, remember what Jesus says in John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love Me, what? You will obey My commands. If you love Me, you will obey Me. If you love Me, you will pursue righteousness. We treasure God by pursuing a life of obedience to God. See, Jesus, at this point in Matthew 6, He's pointing to everything He's already said in Matthew chapter 5 and onward. He's pointing to what He's already said in the Sermon on the Mount and the truth that a person who treasures God is a person who mourns and grieves over their sin. A person who treasures God loves their enemies. A person who treasures God is humble and meek, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. A person who treasures God is merciful. 
compassionate, intentionally pursues peace and reconciliation, endures suffering and persecution because of their faith in the Lord. A person who treasures God stewards their finances and gives generously to the poor and to the kingdom of God, who fervently prays and faithfully fasts. You see, we treasure God by pursuing a life of righteousness. And when we are obedient to God, we are treasuring up treasures in heaven. Brothers and sisters, think about your present priorities. What are they? What are your current pursuits? And ask yourself, how important will this be in 100 million trillion years from now? Honestly, how important will my remodeled house be? How important will my promotion be? How important will that new car be? How important will that club sport be? Are you making the right investment in your life? Men, are you making the right investment as you lead your wife and your kids? Or are you exchanging that which is eternal for that which is temporary? If so, I guarantee you, you will not find a bargain in that deal. You won't. Now why is this important? Why must we as Christians continually come back to this? Why must we be diligent to assess our priorities? Why must we be diligent to assess how it is that we're spending our money? Why must we be constantly be considering what it is that drives us and moves us? Well, Jesus says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. When Jesus speaks of the heart, He's speaking of the center of our personality. It's the seat of our emotions. He's speaking of our mind, our emotions, our will. In other words, it's who we are on the inside. And one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith is that our heart should belong to God. Friend, God created you. God redeemed you. He purchased you with the precious blood of His one and only Son. So for you to love anyone or anything else, for you to treasure anyone, or anything else more than Christ is adultery of the heart. I think Charles Spurgeon said it best when he said, whatever is your greatest joy and treasure, that is your God. So ask yourself, do I have the right treasure? Because whatever your greatest joy, whatever is your greatest treasure, that is your God. Your heart will always be driven by whatever concern grips you. Your treasure will always be whatever it is you cherish. Which is why it's so important for us to ask ourselves on a regular basis, where is my heart? What am I cherishing? What am I valuing? Am I cherishing comfort or obedience? Am I cherishing other people's opinions of me or what God says about me? Am I cherishing the building of my wealth or the building of God's kingdom? Am I cherishing myself or am I cherishing God? Brothers and sisters, what is it that you're cherishing? What are you treasuring? What are you putting your hope in? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a wonderful story. It's about a man who finds a, a hidden treasure buried in a field. And what did that man do? Wow, he's so excited. He was so excited. He had so much joy in his heart that he left the field and he sold everything he had to buy the field. Friends, that treasure points to the eternal kingdom of God. That treasure 
points to Jesus Himself. And that treasure is more than anything that this world has to offer. And that should be the treasure of our heart. Everything else pales in comparison to the riches of knowing Christ and being known by Christ. Now, Jesus, He continues with the metaphor about treasure, but He zooms out a little bit, turns it around, comes back in and looks at this in a different angle, focusing, changing the focus from our heart to our soul, which leads us to the second question here. Number two, do I have the right devotion? Do I have the right devotion? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, what in the world does this mean? The eye is the lamp of the body. Well, remember, Jesus is still addressing our hearts and He's now addressing our soul. And in the same way that our eyes give us the ability to see, and our eyes, they bring light into our physical body. In that same way, the heart is the eye of our soul through which we experience God. Our heart is the eyes of our soul through which we experience God's truth, God's love, God's peace, and every spiritual blessing that He has for us. But our ability to see, spiritually speaking, is dependent upon the health of our heart. Think about a window. I was sitting in my living room the other day and I have a, a window that is a mess. So I went and tried to clean it and it, it won't clean. And what I found out is that for years, the water has been spraying this window from the sprinkler outside. It's gotten in between the panes of glass. The mold has grown. Hard water is there. The only way we can fix this is to replace the window. And it made me think about this and how if the window is clean and the glass is clear, then the light will come in and properly fill the room. But if the window is dirty, what happens? Like my window, the glass is uneven, it's tinted a little bit, discolored, it's gross. What's happening in my living room is the light is being hindered. The room is not receiving the full benefit of light. In the same way, when our hearts, when our spiritual eyes are healthy, just like the clear glass, our whole body will be filled with light. Look back at verse 22. Underline or circle the word healthy. This word is translated from the Greek word haplous. It could also be translated this way as clear, sincere, or whole. In other words, it speaks of a sincere heart that is clear and wholly divided. A healthy heart is a clear heart. Sincere. And it's undivided. It's whole. In other words, that eye is healthy represents a heart that has a single-minded devotion. It speaks of a heart that has integrity. It's not divided. It's not like a pie in which you cut out pieces and, and this part of my heart belongs to work and this part of my heart belongs to school and this part of my heart and so on and so forth. But it speaks of a heart that is complete. It's, it's got complete integrity. It's whole and its devotion is completely to Christ. What happens if our eye is bad? What if our heart is divided like this pie? What if our heart lacks integrity? Well, look at verse 23. He says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Think about this. If you have unhealthy eyes, you can't see clearly. I know I'm so smart. <laughs> but maybe you're colorblind. You can't see specific colors or, or cataracts you see in shadows, or maybe you're just blind. Either way, if your eye is unhealthy, you can't see, and your body is full of darkness. 
In the same way, if our hearts are bad, then our souls will be dark. Now, what causes a bad heart? Well, there's many things, but in the context of our text this morning, a bad heart is a heart that is both materialistic and jealous. A bad heart is both selfish and envious. And it's a result of a heart that is perpetually set on riches. It's perpetually set and fixated on material things. And whether you're fixated on obtaining things or becoming bitter towards those who have those things, the result is a divided heart. Also, a bad heart is one that is burdened by material concerns. In other words, you, you're, you fear or you're worrying being without. And your fear of being without is destroying your faith. Your fear of being without is destroying, uh, it's overshadowing the truth that you have a God that, that you can trust. That you have a God who loves you, who is in control, who is sovereign. It's overshadowing the truth that He invites us to pray for our daily needs and that He will provide for our daily needs. The result of this is a blind soul. A soul that's becoming more and more desensitized. More and more unresponsive to spiritual concern. Friends, if you find that your eyes are fixated on wealth, if you find that your heart is overwhelmed with an anxiety of being without, Pause. Take a moment to examine your heart. The truth is, yes, some people focus their lives on wealth because guess what? Money is their God. But there's also those of us who love God but have fallen into bad habits. Perhaps we've spent too much time scrolling on social media, watching home remodeling shows on TLC. We spend too much time on Amazon or Pinterest And as a result, we start to covet. We start to treasure costly homes, vacations, cars, furniture, clothes, whatever it may be. And our hearts begin to become divided. Whatever it is, an eye that is bad is an eye that is divided in its devotion. You see, you can't be both selfishly indulgent and focused on the kingdom of God at the same time. You can't be both materialistic and selfless. You can't be both greedy and generous. You can't be both evil and righteous. You can't both love the dark and love the light. Jesus is warning us here. He's saying be careful. Be careful about what you're treasuring. Be careful about what you're devoting yourself to because whatever it is, that will ultimately shape the desires of your heart and whether you realize it or not, whatever it is you're devoting your life to, it will ultimately shape your heart to either love the light or love the darkness. And the truth is, there's eternal consequences attached to whatever it is you're treasuring and prioritizing and giving your life to. For they are currently shaping your heart to serve a master. Which leads us to our third and final diagnostic question. Am I serving the true master? Am I serving the true master? The mark of a follower of Jesus is that his heart cherishes heavenly treasures over earthly treasures. Number one. Number two, the mark of a follower of Jesus is that his spiritual vision is not divided. And and finally, the mark of a follower of Jesus is that he is serving the right master, not the wrong master. The truth is, friends, each of us are faced with a decision when it comes to our faith, when it comes to God, and when it comes to money. Because there's a tendency for one or the other to dominate or influence the direction 
of the focus of our lives. See, we're always going to be inclined to give our allegiance to either God or to the pursuit of stuff. John Piper says it like this, Either you are mastered by money and therefore ignore God or make Him a bellhop for your business. Or you're mastered by God and make money a servant of the kingdom. But if either tries to master you while you are mastered by the other, you will hate and despise it. This is why Jesus said, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Much money makes a cruel master. This straightforward and undeniable truth forms the basis of what Jesus expresses in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, you and I were, were made to serve only one Lord. We were made to serve only one Master. And the question this morning is, what Master are you serving today? What Master are you bowing your knee to? Are you serving God? Are you serving money? Are you bowing down to the Creator? Or to the created? Friends, it's one or the other. Because it can't be both. Jesus said it can't be both. You can't serve. You can't love. You both God and money. Why? Why? Why not? Because you can't serve two masters. Now, this word master carries with it some cultural connotation. There's some context here. It speaks of a master and a bondservant relationship. And by definition, the master, well, he has total control over the bondservant. For a bondservant, there was no such thing as a part-time obligation. This was not an option. The bondservant would have been controlled and owned by his master. And for him to give anything to anyone else, well, that would have made his master less of a master. You see, it was absolutely impossible for the bondservant to serve two masters and still be faithfully obedient to one, to both. And the Apostle Paul, well, he picks up on this. And, and he begins to write in the book of Romans, he, he speaks of Christ as our master and the Christian as Christ's bondservant. And Paul says in Romans 6 that before God saved us, we were enslaved to a master called sin. Sin was our master. But when Christ saved us, when you trusted in Jesus, you were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus, and you were given a new master. And Romans 6 verse 22 says that, that we become slaves to God and slaves to righteousness. As a result, brothers and sisters, you cannot claim Christ. You can't claim Him to be your Lord if your allegiance is to anything or anyone else. You can't. You cannot serve two masters any more than you can walk in two different directions. You will always be devoted to one and despise the other. John Calvin says, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost His authority. The order of these two masters are diabolically opposed. Think about this. They're so opposed that they cannot coexist. For one commands us to walk by faith while the other commands us to walk by sight. One commands us to be humble while the other commands us to be prideful. One master commands us to set our mind on heavenly things, eternal things, while the other commands us to focus on the here and the now. One master commands us to love the light while the other commands allegiance to the darkness. One master commands us to treasure that which is eternal and the other forces us to gaze on what is temporary. 
The truth is, God and the world will never agree. Never agree. It doesn't matter how hard you try. We will never be able to serve both. You cannot live in this world and live for the next. You can't. You can't live for this world or you can while also living for the next one. To live for both is impossible. And you have to understand too, as Jesus is sharing this with those who are listening to Him, these folks were struggling. They were poor. Yet, they were still worshiping money because they were so overwhelmed and stressed out by what they did not have that it consumed them. See, there's two sides of the coin on this. And Jesus is saying, stop. I'm the Lord. We cannot worship two kings. We can't submit to two kings. We can't obey two commanders-in-chief. We cannot serve two masters. And friends, we cannot worship two gods. So tell me, what are you treasuring this morning? What is your heart set on? What master are you bowing down to? Now maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian. You've trusted in Christ and Christ alone for the salvation of your soul, but maybe you've fallen into some bad habits. Maybe you've allowed your heart to be distracted by the concerns of the world. Rather than trusting in God to provide for you, you have allowed stress and anxiety of material needs to force you to bend your knee to another master. Or maybe you've given in to your fleshly desire for more. Perhaps scrolling through social media has showed you everything that you don't have. And while as a result, maybe you've been living selfishly and ultimately you have been serving a new master. Either way, if that's you this morning, then what do we do? Well, first, it's important to realize that as Christians, until we are with the Lord, we will struggle against the old corruption of our sinful nature. The truth is, sin is always lurching and always looking for a way to try and redirect our hearts away from the Lord. All of us still have this within us. We have this within us, which is why we must be continually working to mortify sin. Working to kill sin before sin kills us. Working to crucify it with Christ. And well, we'll be doing this, friends, until glory. Until we stand before the Lord on our last day, we'll be doing this. So hear me. If these desires are within you, if the desire is within you to be devoted to another Master, does not mean that you're not saved. It does not mean you're not a Christian. It means that you must recognize what's happening within you and agree with God about what it is, that it's sin. Please hear me. Listen to Jesus' warning here. Don't dabble with this. Don't let your heart treasure those desires. Repent of your sin. Turn from those sinful desires and run to Christ. Run to Jesus for forgiveness. Run to the cross and find healing. Run to the cross and find renewal and strength for your soul. Whatever you're treasuring, it will shape your heart to serve a Master. And this morning, friends, on this last Sunday of the year is a spiritual checkup for our hearts. It's an opportunity for all of us to repent of anything that may be taking our eyes off of Jesus. It's an opportunity to look to Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of unrighteousness, to create in us a clean heart that serves and loves Jesus alone. See, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can loosen our grip on money 
It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can loosen our grip on anything that's distracting us from the Lord. It's only through the Holy Spirit working in us that we can live generously. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that our faith in God's provision can remove the burden of stress and anxiety over material needs. So we run to the cross. This morning is an invitation to run to Jesus. To trust that He will finish the work that He has begun in you. He started it. He promised that He will complete it. And you can trust Him. And worship Him alone. For He is our true Master. He alone deserves our worship. He alone deserves our devotion. Now, I'd like to close by considering Paul's words to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17-19, through he says this, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so they make so they so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Brothers and sisters, if you want true life, and not just life today, but life eternal, true life, treasure God. Pursue a life that is wholly devoted to Him. Pursue a life that loves Jesus, lives like Jesus, and is leading others to Jesus. Let's pray.